Church, if you're new or visiting, uh, welcome. Glad you could join us uh, this morning. Um, and please, as always, uh, go ahead and fill out that uh, comment card so that we can know how we can pray for you um, and answer any questions that you might have about who we are um, and what we are about. Also, if you have like updates to things that we've been praying about, let us know also. Uh, you can do that on the comment card so that we can share the praises with everyone else. We can thank God for them. Um, and we can know how to pray appropriately and uh, specifically uh, for your needs. D.L. Moody was visiting a prominent Chicago citizen when the idea of church membership and involvement came up. The man said, I believe I can be just as good as a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it. Moody said nothing. Instead, he moved to the fireplace and with a blazing out, with a cold, with it being cold out, I'm trying to read from here and it's not working. I'm trying to give you the back, the, the context of this illustration. Anyway, he goes to the fireplace and as the men sat there, he, he pulls out a burning coal. And as the burning coal sits out there on the hearth, it burns out. And after a while, the man looks at it and he says, I see. See, the man understood that the ember on its own lost its light and it lost its heat. And that only in the context of community could that ember truly thrive and burn as it was intended to. Being part of the church is more than just being a believer. Rather, it's being intimately connected with the body of Christ in such a way that you are able to be made mature in the person of Jesus Christ and incomplete in the knowledge of his perfect grace. This cannot happen solo in a silo, nor can it happen when the people in your life are constantly turning over or you're going from one church to the next. So today we are going to look at the topic of church membership. We're taking a break from our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll continue with Matthew uh, next week when we cover uh, Matthew sixteen thirteen through 28. And this morning, I, I pray that we stay grounded in Scripture, and we're going to see where in the New Testament uh, membership is taught. Now, when we talk about membership, it's kind of like the doctrine of the Trinity. When you read the New Testament and, and Old Testament, the word Trinity is never used, and the Trinitarian doctrine is not explicit in there. It's implicit in there. And, and membership is, is sort of similar. It's, it's in there, but the word membership is never used. But what membership is, we do see in the New Testament. And I pray that as we go through the text, you will see that. And just like with the doctrine of the Trinity, that was articulated out of a need to properly word and explain what Scripture teaches about who God is in response to heresies and false teachings that were going on around the time the doctrine of the Trinity was uh, formulated. Membership, the way that we understand membership today, we, we understand it the way that we do and practice it the way we do in part for the same reasons. And we'll get to that part shortly, so bear with me. And if you are interested about becoming a member here at Hope Community Church, uh, please join us for the class afterwards. It will be in the south wing on the other side of the building. It will be a very brief class because we will cover most of the class in the sermon today. Um, we'll just cover a statement of faith and we'll also allow time for questions. Um, attending the class does not obligate you to become a member. So if you have any kind of curiosity, if you have any questions, even on the topic of membership, please attend the class and you will have opportunity to ask questions about the sermon today or about uh, the class itself. So uh, please uh, join us for that. Um, and it will probably be the shortest membership class that we will offer here 
at Hope, um, so I can see, because I think it's only going to get longer as uh, my time here increases. I don't know if that laughter is good or, or not. <laughs> so we're going to go over to, to kind of lay out our plan for this morning. We're going to go over um, what we see in the New Testament. Then we're going to talk about the benefits to the believer of membership. And then we are gonna exp- we're going to talk specifically about membership here at Hope Community Church. But before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer and seek his wisdom, discernment, and grace this morning. Father, we come to you humbly. And graciously, Father, we are grateful for your mercy this morning that we were able to rise out of our beds and come here this morning and to worship together and give you great praise. We thank you for the works that you've done in our lives, Father, that we so do not deserve. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you how you teach us and how you're patient with us. Speak to us this morning through your word. Help us hear what we need to hear. May we respond appropriately. Let us lay aside our idols. Let us cast them from our lives. And may we live our life out in faith so that we can glorify you in all that we do. We ask this, Father, by the power of the Spirit that dwells within us, in the name and by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to look at some examples of membership in the New Testament. Now, some of these examples are examples of local membership, of local churches. And others are examples of universal church membership. Because to understand membership in the local church, we first have to understand membership in big church in the universal church. And the first example, I don't have the text up there, but it's Matthew 18, 15, 22, and this is the one on church discipline. I previously spoke on this um, when we were talking about verses taken out of context, 18, 23, about where two or three are gathered. Um, so this context, we have church discipline. You cannot have church discipline with those who are strangers. You can only do church discipline properly with those who are part of the church. In Acts 2, uh, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 were added, thus becoming members. The, the, these 3,000 were now associated with, and they were now belonging to a group. That's membership. That's what membership means. Now, what were the requirements? See, not just anyone could join. There were requirements to be included in the 3,000 that were added. They had to receive the message, those who accepted the good news that Peter was proclaiming to them. And then as Peter told them, they had to repent and be baptized, as he tells them in verse 38. So all 3,000 repented of their ways, they were baptized, and and as such, they were added to the church. In Acts 5, 12, 13, it says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You cannot not join something if no one is joining it to begin with. If you join something, you are a member of which you have joined. 1 Timothy 5, 9, 12, uh, Paul writes, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So the church here apparently kept some list of widows. It's not clearly any widow in Ephesus. It's just, it's, it, it's a very specific list. And they apparently knew these widows. I mean, they knew of their reputation. They knew what they did and how they lived. 
And also look at the last verse there. One of the warnings Paul includes in re- is in regards to the younger widows and of them possibly leaving the faith. So uh, again, it's, that's why we know that the list is specific to believers, to widows who belonged to the church, and not just to any widow um, in the city of which this church was located. 1 Corinthians 5, 12, 13. For what have I to, this is Paul writing, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Again, Paul here, he's focusing on how we should focus on the behavior within the church, how we need to keep an eye on one another, how we need to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ appropriately. But he, he's showing a dichotomy here. We have people who are inside the church and those who are outside. So people who are members of the church and those who are not. 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 8. Again, Paul writing, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Cannot have a majority if there's not a set number of which to derive that majority from. So clearly there's an idea here that there is a set amount of people who are considered part of the church. Also, notice this. I think this is an example of a local church here. The offense here occurred against the local church at Corinth, not to Paul. It's like, this isn't against me. This is against you all. And so I think this also highlights the difference between local church and universal. Paul is clearly a leader of the universal church at the very least. But at the same time, he's not taking on the full responsibility of a leader at the local church. And we'll talk about that um, more in a bit. We also have imagery in the New Testament that exhibits the nature of membership. In 1 Corinthians 12, that that chapter, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ, uh, the body that is made up of many parts. In the body, the parts are connected with specific purposes, specific roles, specific intimate connections. You cannot be part of a body if you do not know the body or if the body does not know you. A thumb can't just go to another body and try to graft itself in, assuming that it can be part of it. There's, there's, um, you have to be part of the body intentionally. You can't just come from outside and expect to join it. 1 Timothy 3.15 and 1 Peter 4.17, the church is referred to as a household or a family. And then again, here you have relationships that involve accountability, responsibility, and love. Even if somebody comes to your door, knocks on it, and says, hey, I'm your long-lost brother, you're still not just going to be like, oh, well, come on in and share everything with them. You might look into the background first and make sure that they are your long-lost brother and so forth. You're not just going to welcome a stranger in. So I know that's a lot. We got a lot to cover this morning. So how does one become a member of the church universal? Big church, big C church here. All right, I'm not talking about how does one become a member of the local church, but how does one become a member at the church at large? And when I'm saying that, when I'm posing that question, ultimately what I'm saying is how does a person become a believer? Because once you're a believer, you're a part of the big church universal, absolutely. So let's not delineate that. Those are two different things because they're not. Once you are saved, you are brought into the fold. You are brought into the flock of Jesus Christ. So how does one become a believer? Well, all we need to do is look to Peter and his response to that very question in Acts. After he gave his sermon 
And the, and the Jews, they're like, well, what must we do? And he tells them in verse, 20, in verse 38 of Acts 2, repent and be baptized. In other words, confess your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, turn away from your life, deny yourself, and follow after Jesus. And you do it publicly. This is a confession. This is a public confession. This is taking up your cross. Taking up your cross is a public act. And you do this when you get baptized in his name. See, baptism has always followed a profession of faith, and no one who is not willing to be baptized, historically, scripturally especially, has ever been welcomed into the church as a member. It's not that baptism is associative salvation, but a proper response to being saved is being identified publicly in confession, in testimony to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the act of baptism as it's commanded. Only recently has an unbiblical and unfaithful trend of allowing unbaptized believers to be members been a thing. But scripturally speaking, we don't see it. Historically speaking, it's never, it's, it's just never been practiced until recently. And I think in part this is due to lack of biblical literacy and understanding, training from leaders. You know, it's my responsibility to ensure that you understand the role of baptism and how that plays in our faith and in the church. So that's all you need to do. It's really not all. It's a significant thing to give your life to Christ. But that's what you need to do to become a member of the universal church. But what about the local church? How do we get the idea of membership from a universal church to a specific local church from the teachings of Scripture? Well, let's look at the epistles. I mean, many of the epistles were written to specific churches with their own leaders, with their own issues, and with their own responsibilities. In Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17, the author writes, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How, who, the question there is, who are your leaders? Is it the leader at a church in another town, on the other side of town? How can you imitate their faith if you never walk with them, if you never see them? How can you consider the outcome of of their life if you never, if, if, if you don't do life with them. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an, an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. To whom are you to submit to? The guy down the street who doesn't know your life, doesn't know the trials you're going through, the temptations, the mess, the brokenness of your life, is that who you're supposed to submit to? The one you don't understand the statement of faith? Or is it the person who sees you every week, who does life with you, who is to give an account for you? Am I responsible for those who go to the PCUSA church down the street who don't believe in the infallibility of Scripture, or the authority of Scripture? Am I responsible for them? Or am I responsible for the flock here that is among me? Acts 20, verse 28 this is Paul, ta- well, this is Luke writing, but this is Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. These elders here have a specific flock that they are responsible for, to be careful of, that there will be wolves that will come in among them. Paul isn't charging them to be overseers of other flocks, just the flock at Ephesus. First Peter 5.2 this is Peter writing, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, he's speaking to the leaders of the church. Among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, 
but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So my responsibility as a as leader, as well as the elders of our church here, they are responsible for the flock here, not the flock that's in Onalaska or the flock that's in, uh, you know, at Bethany in, in, in La Crosse or a flock at another church in West Salem. It's the flock among us that we are responsible for. These are the ones that we are to give an account for. And then again, we have the illustration of the body. I think the body in 1 Corinthians 12 relates to the body at large, universal, but that is manifested at the local level. That is best practiced and seen at the local level. How can we benefit a body that we do not know? The one another commands in the New Testament. How can we be faithful to the one another commands in the New Testament if we're not doing life with one another? It's easy to bear with one another if we only meet once a week or once a month with a person, but that's not the intention of bear with one another when Paul commands it. To bear with one another is to endure. That's a long, that's a long-suffering type love that you're showing to your neighbor. And so for us to bear with one another, to love one another, to weep and rejoice, to teach, to rebuke, to correct, all those one another commands in the New Testament happens in the local church context, not just like the random local church context, but a committed body of believers that you are doing life with because you love them and you're bearing with them. Can't do that if you're just coming and going as you please. Again, church discipline in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, this can't be practiced among strangers. Church discipline can only be practiced among brothers and sisters in Christ who know one another. The seven churches in Revelation, each of these churches have their own issues. Jesus doesn't give one church credit for the work of another church, nor does he accuse a church of, its, of the failings of another church. He's dealing with each church specifically with their own issues, with their own positive things too, and their own responsibility that they have. And so I believe that faithful membership, and I think we get this from Scripture, faithful membership in the local church ultimately is a manifestation of our faithful membership in the universal church. That as believers of Christ, as we are connected to the larger bodies, as those who are saved, we will seek to live out the commands of the New Testament in the local body by submitting to first to the headship of Christ of who he is and following his commands as expressed by loving our neighbors in the local church. Now, all of that, some of you might be like, I kind of agree or maybe don't agree at all. Maybe still struggling with, well, how do we get to the formal class? How do we get to filling out applications or attending a membership class? Or why does it have to be so formal nowadays? And that's an excellent question. Just like the doctrine of the Trinity did not become articulated until about the third or fourth century, and that was born out of the need to refute heresies. So we need to look at the church today historically, the time in which we exist currently, and culturally speaking, in the Western world where we are. So if you haven't been paying attention to anything, this is the part that I want you to pay attention at in regards to why membership, I think, is significant and we need a formal process of it. And in order to understand this, we have to understand that the focus of membership, the key part of it is to, for us to be marked off from the rest of the world so that we can be known as one of his, part of his body. When we look at the church in America and we compare it to the church in a persecuted country, totally different dynamics at work. 
even in a third world country, different demographics, different issues that have to be considered. If I'm in a persecuted country and you repent and you become baptized, that is your membership class. It happens. I see it. And more than likely, we're not living 30 miles apart. We're living in the same town, same village. And if it's an underground church, we're secretly meeting together somewhere. And just because you've, you've confessed, you've repented, and been baptized, you've taken the risk of being publicly baptized, I, I know this isn't something that you're just making up. I see the fruit of your life. And so we don't need to take a membership class for that. And, and I know that you adhere to the authority of Scripture. But here in America, we don't have that. Baptism doesn't hold the weight that it should. Hence, we have churches that don't allow that. They just shrug the shoulders at baptisms. Now, it's not a big deal. We don't know what to think about it. Whereas in other countries, people risk their lives to be baptized because they desire to be baptized. Here in America, we have many denominations. We have many different Christian beliefs. And we don't live near each other. Some of us live more than an hour apart, 30 minutes apart. We don't do life on life. You can come through these doors, claim to be a Christian, but I have no idea what your background is. I have no idea if you adhere to the authority, the infallibility of Scripture, that you believe it to be inherent, or that you adhere to the uh, triune nature of, of God, and, and, and you believe in the three persons and, and the one nature, or what your position is on really anything. Just because you claim to be a Christian in America means, it means nothing, unfortunately, nowadays. So we have to, especially as transitive as our culture tends to be, people constantly moving, going from one place to the next. We have to set up a fence, so to speak. We have to set up some sort of standard, some sort of measure to evaluate people as they come into the church. Me and the elders, we have a responsibility to the flock here to protect the flock from wolves in sheep clothing. And part of the way we do that is through our membership process. Also, and this is an unfortunate thing, there are legal ramifications that a church must consider especially in this day and age. For example, homosexual couple comes in to be part of the church. They want to get married by the church. Church says no. And this, is, this has actually happened on more than one occasion. It's a homosexual couple sues the church for discrimination because they won't allow uh, the wedding service to be held or to officiate the wedding service in the church. So the church can protect itself, one, by having a membership class, a formal process to where it evaluates um, who can be a member, who can't be a member, and can stipulate in that class that those who are homosexuals cannot have a wedding here, or anyone who's practicing, not just homosexuals, cohabitating, premarital, any ongoing sin that they're not willing to repent of, that they can be prohibited from using the facility or using a uh, clergy member to officiate the wedding. That protects the church legally. So that is an unfortunate uh, just reality of the society in which we live in. Now, in our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, the EFCA, churches are congregationally ruled and elder-led. So this is, in our denomination, this makes membership more significant because members have a voice in, how, in, in the direction the church goes and how the church functions. So we have to ask ourselves, who can have a voice to vote and impact the direction of the church? Is it just anyone? Can a member of the Presbyterian Church here in town, the PCUSA, that doesn't believe in the authority of Scripture, that doesn't believe that's infallible, that doesn't think it's just a bunch of stories and it's, it's loosey-goosey, 
can they just come on in and then give guidance on what our vision should be, what our values should be, how we should practice church discipline. That would be unwise, wouldn't it? We want to make sure that those who are members are grounded in Scripture and are walking in Christ and are walking in the Word and are accountable to the elders. So there's wisdom for the EFCA to, who are congregationally ruled and elder-led to practice a formal sense of membership at the local level, as well as this impacts who can be an elder, who can serve on, on the ministry teams, who, who can cast vision with those ministry teams. It shouldn't just be anyone who is off the street. Now, benefits of a membership for the Christian believer. This is going to be a real brief point. Be very quick. One, it commits you to the church. When you become a member, you're committing yourself to church. You're making a commitment, and it's a public commitment. You will get announced before the congregation. The congregation will affirm you coming into the church. It's not a small thing. As such, this gives you accountability because the church knows, hey, you've committed to us. We know that you've ascribed our statement of faith. We know that you've committed to the expectations of being a member at Hope Community Church, which I'll cover on the next point. And this commitment extends to your children. So like when you do a child's dedication, a child's dedication isn't meant to, isn't supposed to be a nice thing that you do at your grandparents' church or your aunt's church. It's meant to be done at the church of which you are a member. Because in a child's dedication, what you are doing is you're asking the church, the body of Christ that you're part of, part of to come alongside you and your family to pray for your kids, to teach your kids, to raise your kids. That's part of the purpose of dedicating your child to God. It's so that the body of Christ can be part of that. So, and that should happen at the church of which you are a member. When you are, when you are committed to a church, you get people who will teach you, correct you, rebuke you, encourage you, pray for you, help you as needed. Being part of a church also allows for the Great Commission to happen. Teaching obedience to all the commandments that Jesus has taught, that takes time, right? That just doesn't happen overnight. That takes time, and that's done best when you're doing it with the same people who are walking with you in life. Baptism, which is part of the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching, right? It's not separate. It's not teaching and baptizing if, if they want to be baptized. No, baptizing and teaching, and baptism, done effectively, requires some sort of public testimony, accountability. When you get baptized in front of church, you're, you're making a covenant with the body of Christ that, hey, I am one of his. You know, I, I, I'm dead to my sin, and it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ. I'm crucified, and it's, it's Christ who lives. Hold me accountable. So it allows the Great Commission to happen. Being a member, you get elder oversight, elders that will pray for you specifically and to teach you. They are accountable for you. Elders at Hope, we're not just accountable for anyone who walks through the door or those who just come and go. We're accountable to the sheep that God has entrusted to Hope Community Church. And that, those are the ones that we are going to pray over, languish over, um, weep over, and rejoice with. Those are the ones that we are going to pour ourselves out over. We're not going to pour ourselves out over somebody who's just coming and going as they see fit, as they need, um, almost like a parasite who's not contributing to the church. Being part of a church allows you to be part of church discipline, to enforce it and to receive it. And you might be thinking that's a bad thing, but Scripture is clear. You know, Hebrews twelve six says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
Discipline is an act of love. When you become a believer, God will discipline you for your sins, and that is best done through the body of Christ. This allows Matthew 18 to be put into practice, and this keeps you and me from going off the rails, either into heresy or into unrepentant sin, into a lifestyle that, for whatever reason, we're doing. Maybe we think it's okay. Maybe we got caught up in some bad teaching. For whatever reason, maybe we're just blind to it, but the body of Christ can come along and say, hey, this is a sin, point to Scripture, and try to restore us to the faith. And finally, and this is perhaps the most significant one here, it's a witness to the world. Being part of the local church is a witness to the world. It allows the world to witness how the body of Christ practices obedience to all those one another's, despite who you are, despite who I am, and despite who the rest of us are. This allows John 13, 35 to happen. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, not just for people that you don't really do life with or people that you could just leave at, at any moment. Right? Many of us live in dysfunctional families. Right? You put up with your in-laws. You put up with your your kids and, and your wife. You, you, you tolerate those things because their family should happen in the church. We're not always going to agree, but we should be unified over the truth in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, it's, blood of Christ is our last name. What makes a family? It's your last name, right? It's, it's, it's your blood. Our blood is the blood of Christ. So that's what unifies us. That's what keeps us together. It's also being part of a church allows us, and to be a witness to the world, allows us to observe the sacraments, the ordinances of Scripture, baptism, communion. Those two things are meant to be done in community, not by yourself. Communion's not meant to happen through a drive through Or I saw this morning on Twitter, they have pills now that you can order online and you can take a communion pill. Like, that's not Scripture. It's meant to happen in the context of corporate worship. So those are... So just some of the benefits I think a believer has of being a member at the local church. Now, let's talk about member expectations at Hope Community Church. Here specifically, we're going to get real practical, real specific. And these uh, expectations I've taken from our bylaws, the bylaws that we just voted on uh, this past January. And we have a congregational meeting, our uh, semi-annual congregational meeting coming up in July. That's why we're having the membership class today is so that you can consider it, you can pray about it, get interviewed by the elders, we'll talk about that eventually, get known to the congregation, and then we can affirm you at that meeting. But if you want a say in how the budget forms out, or approval of the budget, and and everything else that we talk about at the business meeting, you have to be a member. So, bylaws, you can find this in Article 1. The admission process for members, you have to be 18 years of age or older, one who has made a public confession of faith, whose character and conduct is in accord with that confession, that person can be considered for membership. You have to attend the membership information class, which we will do shortly after this, very brief one. An application is then filled out. It's signed and submitted to the church. Um, and then you set up a time and a date to meet with two elders uh, who will then interview the membership candidate. They will ask questions about testimony, salvation, They will ensure that the potential member is clear on the expectations and the conduct that's outlined in the bylaws, and they will answer any questions the potential member has about Hope Community Church and the expectations on them. After this meeting, and after those elders exercising the oversight and protection of the flock approve this person for membership, then um, 
This candidate, their name, will be announced a few weeks before the next congregational business meeting, of which the candidate will then be voted on for affirmation by the congregation and be welcomed into the body at Hope. Members can request withdrawal from the membership role at any time. And members who are absent and whom we have had no communication with for more than six months may be dropped from the role by a vote as recommended by the elders. Any member who fails to conduct themselves in accordance to the bylaws in scripture and refuses to repent will be subject to church discipline. And the ultimate goal of church discipline there is for restoration and teaching of that person to help them be made mature and complete. It's an act of love, and that's the main focus. And if the member continues to willfully and knowingly violate those expectations and conduct and willfully rejects the church discipline, then he or she can be removed from the membership role by a two-thirds vote um, at the next business meeting. Now, this is the meat of the membership part, the conduct and expectations of a member at Hope Community Church. I'm going to go through them, provide some scripture, and then we'll be done. They are expected to be regular attenders of Hope Community Church, both here on Sunday morning and involved in life groups. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we expect members to attend regularly, to be involved, to be encouraging to one another. They are committed to God's word. And this is perhaps the most significant part of being a member here. We do expect you to be committed to God's word. It drives everything. So I got the most verses for this uh, example here. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16.17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Old Testament, New Testament. It is all good for training and teaching of righteousness and who Christ is. Acts 17.11, uh, Luke writing about the Bereans. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We encourage you to examine the scriptures. We want you with eagerness after I preach to go home and check to make sure that what I'm saying is biblical and sound and to see how it fits and to wrestle with it. We want that attitude. We want that culture here. I hope nobody here is exempt from being examined by the scriptures. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 6.16, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we want to know the word of God because it's good for offensive purposes as well as defensive purposes. So clearly, commitment to the word of God is incredibly important for the member here at Hope Community Church. It drives everything. We expect the member to have a lifestyle of disciple-making. This fulfills the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18, 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we expect every member of the church to be involved in disciple-making in some capacity. 
Parents are responsible for the Christian instruction of their children. Ephesians 6.4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, as follows the great Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. It says, these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. We here at Hope, we will do our best to equip and to complement your training of your kids through our youth ministries, but we also will do our best to equip you to raise up your kids. And ultimately, the responsibility of your kids being discipled falls on the parents, not the church. Our role is to come alongside and assist and to equip, but not to bear the full burden of that. We expect members to use their spiritual gifts and talents to serve the church and build up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To, bring, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then Ephesians 4, 11, 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. The work of the ministry, the building of the body of Christ, that's the members of Hope Community Church. That is your role. That's the function of the priesthood of believers. Members are expected to keep one another in prayer. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is why we do our weekly prayer letter, um, we also do life groups. Life groups should be praying for each other, sharing those prayer requests with one another. Members are expected to faithfully and joyfully give as able. Second Corinthians 9-7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And finally, the section of the bylaws ends with this paragraph on the conduct of a member. Each member is called upon to heed the admonition of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Each member should be then an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Each member is expected to abstain from any act or practice which may be harmful in its influence or stumbling blocks to the weak. Ultimately, this is Paul's teaching in Romans 14, love the love limits liberty. We have a lot of freedom in Christ, but we don't want to Engage in any form of liberty or freedom that might cause a brother or sister to stumble. This is Mark 8, 34, 35, when Jesus says, calling, well, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to him, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. To be an effective member of Hope Community Church, you have to deny yourself. You have to. If you want to be part of the body of Christ, whether it's universal or local, you have to deny your desires, your will, you have to put Christ's desire, his gospel first, his kingdom first, his glory first. Romans 12, 1, 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In case you're wondering what the will of God is, 
Just obey Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you will know the will of God in your life. Now, for us to fulfill the great commandments of loving God of all our heart, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, we must offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Can't do that if we're not living, if we're not offering ourselves as living sacrifices. Remember that opening illustration with the ember that I used with D.L. Moody? What happens to an ember when it's taken from the fire, when it's apart from the fire? It stops burning, right? The light goes out. Some heat might remain, but eventually the heat itself fades. But what happens to the ember? It's still there, right? It still exists in its darkness, in its isolation. But what happens to the ember in the fire? It produces much light, much more heat, and it does so by allowing other embers to do the same. But then what happens to the ember? It turns to ashes. It's gone. It's no longer existing. Why? Because it gave itself fully to the fire. Likewise, we must give ourselves fully to the body of Christ. Acknowledge your purpose. Embrace it. Give yourself fully for the glory of God. And that, can't, none, that cannot happen without full humility. For as Paul says, let our faithful service be a drink offering to God as we pour ourselves out. But remember that it was Christ who took the Father's cup first. And in the words of Paul, I'll end with this because it's always good to end with who Christ is and scripture can never go wrong, I believe, with that. And I'll end with this. This is Philippians 2, 1, 18. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning, look to Jesus as the example of this, to, on how to do this. And he goes on, he says, Who, that's Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We live this out best in community and a community that we have dedicated and committed our lives to. Not one that we've made some half commitment, one foot in, one foot out but one that we are all in with. And when you become a member, when you go through that process and say, you know what, I might not agree with the process, but I'm willing to submit myself to the church. I'm willing to do what's necessary out of the love for others and out of the interests of others because I'm going to humble myself as Christ humbled himself. And I seek to be obedient so that he may be glorified in all things. By doing so, you become part of a community that will care for you, bless you, and you will care for and bless others as well. And as such, God will reward you and you bring honor and glory to God the Father and to his Son and into the Spirit when you do those things. Let us pray.
Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your patience with us. Thank you for your word. And I know there was a lot covered this morning, Father, but your spirit has it all. Speak to all. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. You know what we need to hear. You know that one thing that needs to prick us, Father. You know that one thing that needs to be cut out of our lives. Help us see that and acknowledge that. Help us give you praise and glory for that. Help us endure the pain and suffering that we need to for your glory so that we can continue to know you more and find that joy of obedience in, in, in your Son and, and in obeying to the Holy Spirit and, and, and recognizing the work that you're doing in our lives and how you use us for the lives of others and that it's not about us. Teach us that full lesson of humility and that full humility of denying ourselves and, and accepting you in, in all your ways. Help us embrace the things that we cannot understand, Father, but know that they come from you and that we will trust in that, Father, knowing that we don't need to know the details. We just need to be faithful and obedient with what you have put before us. Help Hope Community Church live that out too. Be with the leaders of this church so that we can be the leaders that we are called to be, be the overseers that we are called to be, Father, to watch over the flock here. Help this flock thrive. Bless this flock before you. Those who are not with us today, those who are traveling, those who are ill, be with them. Comfort them. Those who are especially here this morning, Father, bless them. Be with them the week ahead. Be with them at the work and their families. Help them go to your word, be committed to your word. Help them seek out disciples. Help them to seek to glorify your name and to find a joy that's eternal in that. Recognizing that eternal life for the believer is not something to come, but it's something that is here. Help us share that good news. Help us be a light in the darkness. Help us be zealous for your word, zealous for your holiness, zealous for your bride of whom we make up, Father. Help us love one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another. When we don't want to do that, Father, correct us. Help us be patient with one another. Give us that heart that we don't have, but that we can only have, and you regenerate it, and that the Spirit can transform in us, Father. Help us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires in all things, Father. We ask these things, Father, so that we can glorify you in all that we do, that you can glorify yourself through us, through everyone here, through Hope Community Church in West Salem, for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask this, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, whom you sent into our our lives, into our bodies, by the request of your Son, We do so by the name of your Son and by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.